You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Tess Wilberg, uh, Wilberg on the show with me today, and she has a phenomenal... It's called Marion Lane and the Midnight Murder and what a fantastic book. This, you know, we're going into a brand new year. Uh, when you're hearing this show, it is release day for this book. And, you know, we're just a couple of days away from 2021 and which we all hope and pray is a magic year uh, that gets us far away from 2020. So what what a great way to start a year than with a new book. And uh, Marion Lane and the Midnight Murder is definitely one that you need to have. Welcome to the show, Tess. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, <laughs> Tess, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Yeah, well, I think uh, this is going to be a bit strange. But um, actually, the first time I ever considered um, writing a book was when I sat down to write Marion Lane, which was three years ago, more or less exactly three years ago. Um, so since as far back as I can remember, my interests were science and biology. I was, that was it. I was obsessed with studying the human body and physics. Um, I knew I wanted to be in the medical field when I grew up. And that was the only thing, um, I focused on. Uh, I completed a master's degree in chiropractic, um, and was set on spending the rest of my life in that profession. But then after two years of working in South Africa, um, I left the country and moved to Malta with my partner. Um, and when we arrived there, the job that I had been sort of promised uh, didn't materialize. So I was left with a lot of time and no money, and I didn't know anyone there. Um, and I, I realized that I was going to have to start my own practice, and that was going to take forever, and I wasn't going to have. Um, <laughs> many patients in the beginning. So I was basically sitting at home a lot on my own, overthinking everything. <laughs> and really, the, to cut a long story short, the, I was sitting at my kitchen table um, trying to kind of come up with something to spend my time on that felt worthwhile. And I had just this most random thought, and I explain this to people, and I know everyone's like, this is bizarre, but it was just this <laughs> thought that popped into my head. It was like, I wonder what it would be like to write a book. <laughs> and the, the feeling was so overwhelming and so profound that I just, like, honestly, I'd never thought of writing a book before that, but I, I've always been a big reader and love books. And my mom is uh, she's an English teacher and she studied literature, English literature. And so she, um, she's influenced me a lot in, you know, this whole process. But from my own point of view, I was just a reader up until that point. But as I said, I had a lot of time. So I opened my laptop and I was like, okay, let me try. And I started writing this scene <laughs> about a female detective. She didn't have a name, 
or anything. And she was running away from a killer who also didn't have a name. <laughs> there was no, there was no plot. There was no point. I didn't even think it was actually going to be a book. I just, I just had this feeling I needed to like write something. I, I don't understand it, but that was, that's how it started. And as soon as I, I think I wrote maybe like a page, two pages um, of this random scene from nowhere. And then I, <laughs> I put the laptop down and the next day I woke up and I was like, Oh, I can't wait to carry on with that story. <laughs> and I just, that's what, that's how it started. And literally every single day, because I did have almost every single day free at that time, I would sit down and just write scenes, random scenes. And then as the story slowly started to come to me. Um, I've always loved crime and mystery novels. If, if I'm going to read a book, 90% of the time, it's going to be either a mystery or a fantasy. So the, the idea of a, you know, a female detective and a detective agency that's very secret and hidden underground and all sort of came in, in little bits, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all at once. Um, and, and that's it. I've been writing ever since that was, as I say, about three years ago. Um, and now I realize I'm a writer. <laughs> so <laughs> it's so surprising to me. And when I tell my family and I tell my, you know, my, my mother, she's the most surprised. Cause I mean, as much as she loves you know, books and reading and whatever, she says she's good. She never imagined that I would be a writer because I'd never mentioned it to anyone, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's how it started. So it feels very, it feels very random, but it feels so right. It feels like this is the thing I've should have been doing all along anyway. Well, not only is this the place uh, to share uh, crazy stories, of, <laughs> you know, but but those stories are are embraced and celebrated here. Um, I I love yes. that story so much. Um, you. So when you began this book, when you sat down and it kind of had this opening scene in mind with uh, with a. a, a a nameless detective uh, being pursued by a nameless, uh, you know, antagonist. Um, wh what were you, do, do you know what you were drawing from? Uh, has there been anything, any inspiration in your life? Or was there a, 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 a writer or a series or a book that, um, that kind of, uh, you know, made an impression on you that made you fall mm. in love with this genre? Well, Sherlock Holmes, I think, is probably the greatest inspiration. Um, a lot of people have mentioned Agatha Christie when they read my book, but I think, um, you know, Sherlock Holmes and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, I think that's the great, I would say that was probably the primary inspiration. But as I say, I also have always been a fantasy reader and I don't think my book has like full on fantasy in it, but there are sort of a little bit of magical realism elements to it. And uh, Tolkien is my all time favorite writer. Um, and I know that that doesn't really make sense because he's, he's not writing crime novels, but um, the, my childhood favorite book ever, and still one of my favorite, The Hobbit. Um, and I think the, the connection there is just this feeling of escapism. Right. I love books that take you away. It doesn't have to be into a, you know, Middle Earth or, an, or another place, but just a feeling of um, escaping the real world for a while. And um, I think that's what I was trying to get at with Marion Lane. 
I wanted, that's why I created this, you know, underground world that was so separate from real London um, and so hidden and all the gadgets and all that stuff because I wanted the story to have this, it's, you know, a really strong sense of place. Um, and the, the mystery side of it, I think, does come from Sherlock Holmes. And I just love that idea of this really clever detective um, who, you know, who can, and as I say, Agatha Christie and, and Poirot and all that were definitely in there as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's like, a, it was all these things that I didn't realize were inspiration. But when I think back, I'm like, yeah, that, all those books that I really loved. But yeah, I would say probably Tolkien and Conan Doyle are the biggest inspirations. Well, Tess, in in the uh, uh, in the more than one thousand episodes uh, that we've done of this podcast, there uh, there have been more uh, people that have named uh, Tolkien as an influence, and especially an early influence, than than probably anyone else that's been yeah, mentioned. It's show. amazing, uh, isn't it? A, a Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, uh, and then of course Agatha Christie and Sir Arthur right. Conan Doyle are are in in that pantheon for sure. Yeah. Um, and it makes perfect sense to to mix up Tolkien with Conan Doyle. Th- those two just make perfect sense to it's just like to the mash best up. of both things. I just yes. love it so much. Yes, it, it's I I find it fascinating that so many people were influenced by these early fantasy stories, and e- even people that that write nothing that it seemingly has nothing to do with fantasy. Those are those early influences, and I, I I'm sure they're. There's probably a sociologist somewhere who could really, you I know, know make, and I want to know make something of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's incredible. Well, that's a challenge to a listener out there. there there's got to be someone yeah, who can connect us. these dots for us. Jeez. We would love to hear that. <laughs> we all want to know. <laughs> we all want to know. So, Tess, you you sit down uh, in this <laughs> moment of uh, uh, desperation meets inspiration, uh, yeah. shall we say? And, uh, you know, with your computer, you, you type out this scene. What happened after that? Were you intrigued by who these people were? Did, did you want to write, uh, you know, so that you could find out what the story was? How did uh, I, I get yeah. the early inspiration and the just writing off the top of your head? But what caused you to pursue this further? I th- it, the beginning part was it's quite a it's quite a haze. Um, I just remember being completely absorbed by um, the character Marion. As I said, she didn't have a name then, but um, she was this young female detective. That was always the case. Um, and then I I wanted to I, the idea of a detective agency was also came up quick pretty quickly because. I just thought it would be more exciting if she was working with a whole bunch of colleagues who were sort of similar age and um, they were all training together. And then I thought, so as I said, these ideas were coming like in little dribbles, you know, bit by bit, day by day, I would sit down and um, as I, most of the time, as I was about to fall asleep, (laughs) all these ideas would start coming. Um, Yeah. So I've decided there needed to be a detective agency and I wanted it to be the next thought was I wanted it to be very secretive. I wanted it to be sort of not really known to the outside world. And I thought, okay, in London, oh, it had to be in London. I also don't really know why I thought that, but that was just 
I thought that was where all detective agencies were. <laughs> so I thought, okay, it had to be London and it had to be secretive. Now where, like, where would you hide it? And then I was like, obviously it has to be underground, right? Where else? Um, so uh, that idea came. And then I think that was when I got really excited because I started just thinking, oh my gosh, so it's okay, it's underground. It must have, um, this, it must have like ventilation and it must have a, gadgetry department and some filing department and how does how do they communicate with above ground and that was how I came up with the pneumatic tubes that are you know people post these letters um, all throughout London to the detective agency underground via these pneumatic tubes and then there has to be a filing station and a sorting station and I just thought I I just get very excited about those kind of things <laughs> so I think the, the world of Miss Brickett's investigations and inquiries was probably the thing that kept me so excited. I was just, I kept finding new little um, additions, new little departments that I wanted to add. And then of course, when I had a department, I was like, okay, who runs this department? Um, what are their, you know, what are, what are their daily duties? Um, and then, so definitely world building happened way before there was any plot. I didn't know what was going to happen in the story. Um, other than that there was going to be a detective and a detective agency. And then um, I, I wrote, I don't even know what I wrote really. I think it was just like a whole bunch of scenes. It was awful. <laughs> and, then, um, and the sort of laws of the world, I guess you could say, and yeah. the characters. And then um, I came to probably what you would call the first draft. I mean, as I say, I would never show that to anyone, but came to the end of that and I thought, okay, this needs to be a proper book. I want this to be an actual story. So I went about, that was when I went about researching how you actually write a book. I mean, I had never heard of inciting incidents and midpoints and plot points until then. So I sat down and I watched countless YouTube videos and read everything I could. Um, and I wrote a very basic plot sort of structure. Um, and I tried to actually start writing a formal book and I decided there has to be, I'm writing a murder mystery. So there has to be a murder. So (laughs) (laughs) there has to be a victim and there has to be the killer and whatever. And it just came in in little bits. Um, And then I, once I thought I had a a story, um, I, the next step was thinking, oh, maybe I could get it published. Maybe. And I went about researching literary agents um, and went through that whole process. And yeah, I think it was, it was never, it was never a well plotted story. And I realize now, cause I'm, I'm right. I have just written the second book. Actually, I realize now that that's how I am. That's the right I am. I'm not a, I'm not a plotter by any means. Um, I like to write a very, ba- I mean, very basic in sort of like inciting incident, um, midpoint climax, and general theme, and then I just go. And it always like everything I've plotted anyway always changes. Um, and I just as I as I write, I come up with new characters and ideas, and I, I it works for me. It's crazy. It's horrible for the editing stage, but it <laughs> it works. Well, um, you, you alluded to, um, this difference in writers, uh, where, uh, one, 
one camp of writers tend to plot out in in great detail, um, you know, what's going to happen in the book before they start writing the book. And then there, the other camp is uh, what we call pantsers, people that write by the seat of their pants, or mm-hmm. I like the the term discovery writer. And I think uh, oh, Brandon yeah. Sanderson probably came up with that. But you you're a discovery writer in the in the best sense of that word, in that you you wrote a um, a first draft that really helped you discover the world and the characters, and um, yeah. uh, did when you then you know, uh, took what you had written and then uh, kind of outlined it, so to speak, it, you know, after the fact, did how much of the, the things that you wrote in the first draft made it over to your revisions? Oh, not a lot. <laughs> not the character, the characters, definitely. Um, all the, I kept all the characters and I kept all the gadgets and I definitely kept the world and sort of all the rules. And I think. I think the um, as I say, it's quite like a blur because I was in a I was in a weird mind space when I wrote this book. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I think the the very basic murder mystery stayed the same. Um, but the second half, I remember because especially after my agent had read it, we discussed it, and and the second half of the book changed quite a lot. But yeah, I would say probably probably about fifty percent the same yeah so at at what point did the character of marion lane really start taking shape Uh, and what Mm. what things did you learn about her in in the the writing of her yeah she she was pretty fully formed when i started she was the only i mean i think she was the driving force for me wanting to write a book um she she has a lot of personality traits that are similar to my mother and a lot of strong women that I've known friends and so on. Um, so she was pretty fully formed, um, as I began. And I think the only thing that changed as I went was I made her, um, I just gave a bit more of a character arc. So I, I made her start off being a little bit more timid, um, than I had originally written her so that she could grow, um, in the first book into a, you know, a stronger, uh, character by the end of it, um, and sort of find her feet a little bit. Um, yeah, but I did learn a lot. I mean, uh, especially to do with her relationship with the other characters, like, uh, Bill, who is her, her best friend, who's also a, a apprentice detective. And then later on, Kenny, who, um, is an American detective who comes in sort of midway through the story. Um, I learned how she, I, I didn't have those sort of interactions as character interactions quite right in the beginning. Um, but yeah, I think I drew on a lot of, especially with Marion Bill, and Bill, I drew on a lot of um, great platonic relationships that I've had with men. And um, yeah, but she, she was, she was always pretty strong in my head, definitely from the beginning. You mentioned um, this, uh, the the technology and things that you had dreamed up for how they communicate with the with the outside world and all of yeah. this great stuff. And there's a point where it feels and and, and this is going to be a bad comparison, so brace <laughs> yourself, but it feels like Hogwarts in a way. Yeah. 
um, in, in that, um, you know, we're we're talking about, uh, you know, earlier in time, uh, the book takes place in the 1950s. Yeah. Um, but we're we're talking about forward thinking, um, you know, um, how we deal with the with the world um, and advances in technology that are that are really clever um, that have nothing to do with microchips and things like that. Um, yeah. But what, what were what were some of those? Um, what was some of the motivation for for thinking of this world and and how people you know are forward thinking and um, you know um, uh, you know how they deal with obstacles like that while being in the 1950s? Yeah, I I said it in the 1950s because uh, firstly I I didn't want modern technology to kind of get in the way of what I had in mind, but um, I also wanted the inquirers to be a bit more advanced than, than, you know, the world was at that point. Um, and I drew a lot of inspiration from, although you probably, <laughs> it's a, probably a bit far-fetched, but I, I drew a lot of inspiration from the spy gadgets that were around in the Cold War, especially yeah. the KGB and, and CIA. So I would take a, um, I would, first of all, I would think, okay, what gadgets do I want my detectives to have? So let's say a listening device or a tracking device. And then I would go and um, research whether those things, any kind of variation of those things existed at that time. And a, a lot of them did sort of later on and sort of in the sixties during the, you know, cold war, the height of the cold war. So I would take a, a gadget that I'd <laughs> researched from let's say KGB gadget and, um, and just make it a little bit more magical and sort of a little bit more fun. Um, and yeah, I, I wanted the, the inquirers to have, um, this advanced technology because it just does set them on a, it just sets them ahead of everyone else. And, uh, it also, I think lends this slightly, um, magical realism feel which I wanted to bring in. I didn't want the gadgets um, or the world to be completely um, real. I wanted it to feel a little bit, as you say, like Harry Potter-ish. Mm-hmm. I know people keep saying that it gives them this Harry Potter feel, and I think that's why, because it's set in a, in a time when you shouldn't have all those things, and you know, it, just, it just feels a little bit like an alternative mm-hmm universe in a way and that that is what i was going for so i'm glad people pick up on that when uh you said that that at some point you realized this was going to be a murder mystery and you needed to (laughs) to kill someone um what what was the uh tell me about kind of how that story sets up and and what the problem is uh that marion lane bumps up against yeah so I had to kill someone and, <laughs> um, I, I needed it. So the, the theme that I came up was with was that, uh, the murder victim and the killer were going to be inquirers. So they were going to be a part of this underground world because I thought that that, that sort of creates this locked room, um, idea. Um, so yeah, I went about just thinking about which characters it would make sense um, to have as the murder victim and whatever. And um, I thought that 
have by having everything happening in this little world, it kind of, again, it just draws the reader away from reality. That was kind of the whole thing. And Marion is now caught in this, you know, she's a new apprentice and she's working for this place that she is only just learning about really now. She's only been there for four months and someone is killed. Um, And she loves this agency so much. It's, you know, it's drawn her out of her very boring life above ground. And she realizes that this murder uh, is going to disturb the world that she's come to know. And she um, also then has one of her close confidants accused of the murder. So she has to go about solving the crime or she feels this new world is going to be taken away from her. When in creating a a locked door, um, air quotes, locked door mystery um, Mm. like this, um, did that, uh, challenge you and in ways to okay you know if if we're going to make a mystery then then there are some um some connections that the readers need to make and some um some sleuthing of their own if you know if you really want to um uh, you know be a mystery reader you you're always trying to outthink the writer you know at some point mm-hmm. um were you thinking in in think in terms like that you know um in constructing the mystery that we as readers would get to unravel? Were you, you know, thinking of ways you could misdirect the reader and things like that? Yeah, oh, d- definitely uh, in the editing stage, I would say uh, in the in the drafting stage, I wasn't quite there yet. But yeah, in the editing stage, um, that was the best part. I, I love a puzzle. I love being able to solve a puzzle. And I, I, I thought that the readers would love that too. So yeah, you want to create characters that are that seem guilty but they're not and then ones that you know seem guilty but they are and ones that are that seem innocent and and because I have so many characters in this world that was quite fun that was a lot of fun and then um I have uh all these different you know rooms and uh gadgets and that all come into play with the murder mystery as well um and so planting, you know, red herrings and all these false clues. I would say that was definitely the most fun I've had with the book. And, um, it's, yeah, it, it's, but I, as I say, I did it mostly in the editing stage because I definitely wasn't quite there <laughs> when I wrote the draft. <laughs> it was my first book ever. So I'll give myself a break. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, if you would have set this book in 2020 or 2019 uh, or, or 2017, when you began thinking about this, um, it, it would have been a very different book. You know, oh, yeah. um, the, if in modern times with modern technology, um, you could just, you know, pull out a cell phone and, uh, right. you know, make yeah. a couple phone calls and, and, you know, fix a lot of things. Um, is that one reason why you decided to set this in the 1950s? Because it, it kind yeah. of removes all of those things. Definitely, that was the the number one reason. Um, I just, I was, I didn't want that. I was because I wanted to create gadgets, and there's no point creating gadgets if you're gonna then have all the cell phones and GPS. No, yeah, that was the reason. And also, um, I just have a thing about the 1950s. I think it's such a atmospheric time. I just love 
movies and books that you know 1940s 1950s 60s i love it so yeah but 100 the technology was the primary reason love it so when uh you found a publisher for the book and it's it's coming out everywhere um <laughs> and you know at some point you start thinking how do i follow this up you know what's going what's going to come next because people are going to love this book and then people are going to want more uh, about this. How did you start thinking of your writing career? I, I guess once you realized you had a writing career um, and, you know, where this is going forward. Yeah, well, from when I decided that um, I was going to get an agent and, you know, try and get it published, uh, I knew it was going to be a series. Um, I think the main reason was I just I was just like, I'm going to go to so much effort creating this world and all this technology and all these gadgets. I can't just let it be one book. <laughs> so that was the main reason. And I did actually write out, believe it or not, a plot for three three books, um, which is nothing like, yeah, it's completely different now in my head. But um I, at least I have in my head at least three books, um, and I, I'm sure I can say this now, but I've, I, I've definitely I've written book two, um, and that's off to my editors now, and I'm about to write book three. So, the the story is Marion has a lot left to do. <laughs> love it, I love it. Cannot wait to see what's coming next. Um, <laughs> if if people, um, you know, listen to this and they love your story and want to hear more about, uh, you know, what's coming up next and all that, where can they find you online? Yeah, so um, tawilberg.com. That's my website. And I'm on Instagram uh, at ta underscore Wilberg and on Twitter at Tess underscore Amy. Excellent. Well, we're going to put links uh, to Marion Lane and the Midnight Murder in the show notes of this episode. You can pick it up in Kindle edition, uh, audiobook edition, hardcover, however you love books, you can grab it. And uh, Tess, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Oh, it was lovely. Thank you for having me. A hitman with a conscience. Ian Bragg is paid to kill people. Only bad people and not many but for a great deal of money. Case the target, make the hit, move on, until he meets the woman with sparkling green eyes who changes everything. A few pre-readers had this to say about Ian Bragg. Mark Dawson, million-selling thriller author, says a rip-roaring ride from start to breathless finish. Craig Martell hit a home run with the operator. The taut, lean prose and lightning-fast pace make this a page-turner without sacrificing an ounce of story or depth. You'll find yourself rooting for the hitman main character as he faces the toughest decision of his career. The Operator is the start of a new thriller series I expect to see burning up bestseller list for years to come, says A.C. Fuller, author of the Crime Beat and Alex Vane media thrillers. Suave, romantic, and lethal, Ian Bragg is everything you want in a highly paid assassin. Can't wait to ride this train, says James Blatch, self-publishing formula. It's been a long time since I fell this hard in love with a book, a very long time. Author of Women of Wine County Romantic Suspense, Terry Wells Brown says. Grab this book from Craig Martell, The Operator.
Both Barrels Publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author James P. Sumner. He has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career, meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community. Knowing the struggles of the modern-day indie author as well as he does, he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level to learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden costs, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. BothBarrelsPublishing.com